Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. Expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. Let's conquer these data hurdles together. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. How you doing, Chris? Good. It feels like it's been a while. How about you? It has. I think we missed a week, didn't we? <laughs> I think so. I was do I was at a big conference from Reltio, and so it was super busy. Uh, so yeah, we definitely missed that week, but I think that's okay. I have to let you know. You know, I know we are we're still like ramping up with their user base and whatnot, but I did have one person reach out to me, a friend of mine, and said, what happened last week? Where's the episode? <laughs> I love So it. I had a good laugh. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, things have been going really well. You know, I'm finally, I think, at that like 90-day mark at my new role. So really feel like I have my feet planted and I'm moving forward at BVS and it's been super exciting. So I can see the light again and I'm starting to like breathe, right? Same thing <laughs> with you, right? I think we both, the summer was a busy summer, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Really yeah. crazy. Um, well, Michael, we actually have a guest on today. I'm really excited to talk to him today. And, uh, it's Ramon Chen. He's a chief product officer at Excel Data. Ramon, how are you? I'm great, Chris. Uh, hi, Mike. Uh, great to be on. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. You know, um, some of the things that... So I know Ramon from... a. He used to work at Relto, and so really excited to have him on Uh He's had a new role, and his he focuses it in a, a lot on the the topic of around data observability, and uh, you know it's a really hot uh, area in the data space. And so I wanted to get Ramon on today and talk a little bit about that. How about that, Ramon? Does that work? Yeah, no, no, that'd be fantastic. I, I can talk about data observability. We can get a little bit into AI and what's going on there because. I think it's all data related, and we can also talk a little bit MDM and how that might uh, relate, uh, since we're all MDM experts on this call. So, uh, yeah, let's do it. Great. Well, the first question then is, what is this? What is data observability? I can't even say it right. Well, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked, Chris, because it is a bit of a tongue twister. Now, so data observability was actually born out of the concept of observability without the word data. Uh, and that's the term that you hear uh, on companies such as Datadog, Splunk, uh, ah. New Relic. Uh, those companies started with this concept of application performance monitoring, APM, where something needed to be done about ensuring visibility into how systems and applications were performing because the, the criticality of them staying up uh, and running the business, right, and the performance of those sorts of applications. That, as we now know, because all of those companies have gone public and companies like Splunk, for instance, have now since been acquired by Cisco. Um, as it turns out, all of those companies have multi-billion dollar valuations, and it's been proven that people want observability as it was defined. Data observability is taking a similar concept but applying it to the actual data content and values, as well as the uh, data supply chain, right? So the data supply chain being the definition of 
as data comes in as raw data from multiple sources, if you could imagine, right, there's a supply chain, you know, it gets ETL, it gets moved into a holding holding pattern, it gets uh, um, transformed and orchestrated along the way using various tools. And then ultimately, it could make its destination and its temporary stop, if you will, to something like master data management. Uh, it will pick up some governance along the way. It'll get a little nibble in data catalog. Uh, it'll <laughs> definitely have a lot of data quality because there's a lot of bad data. Uh, and then eventually it gets to a form where it's going to be consumed by applications, uh, by analytics, by BI, uh, as well as now uh, increasingly AI, uh, ML, and uh, large language models even. Now, Ramon, quick question for everyone here, but data observability has become such a hot word, especially in the last three to five years, right? Mm -hmm. Why are we seeing this influx now? You know, I think data observability as a concept has been around for decades, right? But mm -hmm. the new kind of, um, I'd say version 2.0 of observability has changed recently. Yeah. Do you have any insights into why, why it's happened more so now than ever before? Well, yeah, that's a great question, uh, Mike. So observability has been around for about a decade that with the data dog and the new relics of the world but data observability actually started in 2018 uh, when excel data actually coined the term uh, so the founders the co-founders of excel data the four of them uh, came from hortonworks slash cloudera where big data and big big data and that's the origination of the term big data was a thing and managing big data at scale required some observability already, right, in that context because of the data volumes and the regular tools that did observability, if you will, that on something like an Oracle and that was siloed actually to those tools wasn't going to be useful for something like Hadoop. So they, um, the team at Excel Data created and coined the term data observability and then moved it into the modern data stack, into the cloud. Now, uh, uniquely, Excel data also still handles Hadoop, which is very unique because that is still quite a large market. Um, there's a lot of legacy Hadoop uh, analytics environments that are waiting to be moved to the cloud. Some of them may never get to the cloud because they're doing the job as is at a very low cost because the hardware's all been paid for. So to answer your question, it's it's fairly new still, right? I would say 2018 is when Excel Data coined the term and started the market. There's now since been other vendors entering the space. And we can talk about sort of why everybody is just slapping the term data observability onto their the back of their uh, box now. I was in um, Big Data London a few weeks ago, and I did a little informal walk around the show floor, which was huge, by the way, huge. Um, and every vendor I looked at, whether we were in data quality or data governance or data catalogs, started talking about data observability. It was on their signage, right? Because, and that's when you know something's hot because the marketplace is demanding it. There's, there's now presentations. There was a dedicated data observability track uh, uh, session uh, with, with, in combination with data ops. That's another term that we can talk about a little bit if you're interested. But I think it's about five years old now. And, but over the last 12 months, it's really heated up. Uh, we're starting to see, at least at Excel Data RFPs, 
focused on data observability. That's interesting. And so that I can get my head wrapped around it, real life example, can you kind of talk about like, what are some tangible, tangible, you know, like business outcomes? Like, what do you get? What are companies? Yeah. The value there. Yeah. So, so what's good. So imagine that data supply chain again, moving from left to right, right? From raw data through a set of sort of ETL function staging areas, the data gets enhanced, the data gets augmented. It may go through RELTO as an example, through master data management, catalog takes a bite out of it, you know, uh, governance starts to govern it. And then it gets through the, through the process, it goes through some address cleanse, data quality, and so forth. Ultimately, then spitting out, as I mentioned, to applications and and um, um, analytics and AI and machine learning and even LLMs, right? So that whole simplistic view from left to right, imagine that in an enterprise multiplied by 3,000 different pipes, right? Pipelines, they're called, right? Yeah. Um, each, each one of these pipelines could at any time break for any reason, right? Somebody issues some bad code. Uh, the pipe gets backed up because all of a sudden something's stalled, or the data that's coming through the raw entry point uh, at the source is already corrupted in some way. It's already bad data, right? But in a traditional data journey, you don't discover that until way down, almost you know, just before you get to, let's say, master data management or let's say you're even going through the process and you suddenly start cleaning the addresses, but now you realize, hey, this data should never even gotten to my MDM, right? Because it's so bad, somebody should have caught it earlier on in the cycle. So data observability is not just data quality, it's what is called the reliability of the data, right? And reliability includes not just that the data is high quality, but did it arrive at the time that you expected it to arrive, right? If you're relying on a data feed from an external vendor and one day it skips, just like your podcast, you, you missed a week, right? Somebody said, hey, what happened, right? <laughs> right? So, so somebody is concerned that that data did not arrive because it's supposed to be blended in with all the other data. Data quality is not going to tell you that. It's going to check the individual line items, but data reliability or the reliability of the data is going to check for frequency. It's going to check for pipeline breakage. It's going to check for schema drift. The schema drift is this simple example, right, where you add a column or your data vendor that's supplying you with the data adds a column, but you're not aligning it with the target systems and the data models mismatch, right? That's a breaking point, right? And if you don't discover that till the end or until it hits, that's a bad thing because you're going to have a system downtime while you add that column and so on and so forth. So those are just some examples. Now, in the real life, right, we've got lots of vendors, large, large enterprise with petabyte-scale data in the banking industry, in the telco industry, and they need, because all of the data is critically powering either their contact centers, their marketing systems, they need that data to be continuously flowing pristine through the system. And they cannot afford bad data to be resolved further downstream because it's an expensive resolution, right? By the time it gets there, it's it's hundred times more expensive to fix than if you catch it early on, right? So that's one thing. Cost inefficiency is really really key. But ultimately, it's about reputation, brand. You know, LLMs hallucinating because the data is not good uh, and saying the wrong things to the wrong people, and you get sued and compliance and all of the standard business practices. Um, 
one final example I'll give you is uh, data products, right? That's hot. I'm sure you guys have talked yep. about it on, on your show, data mesh, data fabric, all of the stuff, monetizing data. Everybody wants to monetize data. But there are companies, Dun & Bradstreet is one, right, which is a professional commercial data products manufacturer and deliverer, right? So they produce data products for a living. They need this type of capability because they need rules, right, to validate, profile the data coming from multiple sources. And their value proposition is if they can add new data sources fast, they can improve the end result, like a Dun's number as an example. But they have to do that quickly. If they do that in, it takes two weeks, that's no good, right? That's a competitive disadvantage. And if something sneaks through and it's bad data and it makes its way to the customer, that's a disaster. They're going to get fined. The customer is going to be mad. It's going to be massive disruption. So I'll pause there. Sorry, uh, that was long. No, that's good. I mean, that's a really good. Uh, one of the things you keep mentioning is how MDM and uh, data observability, I can't really say it, observability. Yes, there you go. Five pick the pickle, pickle peppers. I can do that easy. <laughs> you know, I've practiced that so many times. Um, but you you mentioned that uh, there's there's some uh, things that they can work together or complement each other yep. in in an enterprise setting. Can you talk about some of that? An example of how the, yep. the integrating insights and things like that. How you can do that? Yeah, I think it's as simple as with with uh, MDM. Nothing really needs to change with master data management, right? But the master data uh, management's absorbing of a real sort of uh, the sources. In reality, the data sources that MDM gets is, uh, is not raw, right? It's either coming from CRM. It's already gone through a whole heap of stuff, right? And some level of cleanup, right? There's yeah. If it's an external data source, yeah, it could be um, um, coming from Dun & Bradstreet, right? As a contributing data source. So the data sources that are raw that then infiltrate and go in indirectly into, let's say, CRM, first have to be observed and, and colored and fixed where appropriate so that it doesn't ripple down into master data management. So master data management itself doesn't really have to do anything. But one of the things that um, uh, data observability also does is in order to understand whether the data is reliable or not, it does some massive profiling at scale, right? Mm. And that profiling generally, as you know, is kind of, kind of interesting for master data management. If you, you, know, if you think back to your days, Mike, uh, at uh, Reltio, everybody just says, you know, how do I profile this data before I even figure out what my match rules are going to be? I mean, increasing the AI and the ML matching is going to make that a little bit uh, easier to do. But profiling kind of never goes away, right? You've got to profile it prior to data quality, to governance, to catalogs, and also for master data management. So that's how there's synergist synergies there. But the interesting thing is also that you don't really know what happens to the data after it gets sent out, right, from, from MDM. So there's the before and there's the after. So, so something like an Excel data with data observability gives you kind of like that end-to-end -end visibility of the whole data journey. And I think also when we earlier, like years ago, right, we didn't have this many hops or touch points to our data, right? It could have been three, maybe five and a sixth set of people working on it. Now it could be a hundred. Yep. Right. And a hundred people touching data, doing something to it, segmenting it. Yeah. And that complexity has grown this, evolved this need yep. to have some tool that can watch 
and track that change over time. Right. Yes, you're spot on. Um, so just like master data management has audit trails with Reltio and the lineage of what happened, so you can do an unmerge and and understand you know uh, the the lineage there. Uh, data observability gives you the complete lineage, right? Um, and it could conceivably also look into the master data management lineage if there's uh, a chosen path to directly integrate. But overall, everything that happens, you know, this this little piece of data that came from you know the, a, a contributing source got ETL'd, like five people touched it, right? It got yeah. transformed. All of this stuff is a massive audit trail that's required for compliance. Um, but even more importantly, and we haven't talked about this yet, um, there's a lot of friction, right, in all these touch points. And so because there's no overall visibility, people don't know who's touching it after I've touched it, right? It, there's this, there's not, there isn't this sort of eagle view of data flowing through the system indicating, well, why is it going over here? Oh, you know, it's going over there because like three years ago, we did some workaround and we had to do some transformation because some customer complained, uh, uh, some end user complained, but now that's no longer applicable, but nobody unraveled it or nobody questioned why it had to take three, five extra hops. Now that's money down the drain because maybe there's a tool sitting there and it's running, maybe it's Databricks, right? Maybe it's Snowflake and it's running a job that's completely unnecessary, and you're paying Databricks and you're paying Snowflake, right? So when you have a bird's eye view, all of a sudden now you can identify the inefficiencies and you can take the friction out and make it more streamlined as well. And also that that internal efficiency, it's not even just about the cost savings. Like I have a great example of, I at one point in my career was responsible for generating e-commerce reports Mm -hmm. that would dictate how much commission our sales reps got. Right. right. I designed this beautiful pipeline and said, here you go. And I handed it to him and they said, well, hold on. My commissions and the way that I calculated it is different. Yeah. Right. And so what did we have to do? We had to go back and spend another week or three weeks or four weeks going through this pipeline, comparing every state at which the transactions were held, how they were changed, and ultimately like manually evaluating these discrepancies until we figured out what was going on. If we had had a data observability tool, that would have been near instantaneous because we would have been able to see and model those changes from a bird's eye view. Yes, exactly right. Exactly. So another question that you know we kind of touched upon but didn't go deep in is around AI and ML. Obviously, that's a huge topic mm-hmm. today, and it seems like every product company it doesn't matter where you're at. But you know, where does AI and ML play for for uh, a company like yours? Yeah, so there's two things. It, it's it's a little bit cyclical in nature, much in the way MDM is as well relative to AI and ML, right? The first thing is the quality of the data and the reliability of the data. I mean, I liken the symbiotic relationship between master data management and uh, something like data observability and some of the other tools as similar to your cable television, right? So when you watch NFL... Sunday ticket or something, and the picture is 4K, super realistic, right? Really high quality. The sound is perfect. There are multiple uh, actors along the way or vendors that will take credit for that, right? First, the TV, Sony will say, oh, it's all us, right? It's all us, right? And then 
uh, uh, Comcast, NBC, Xfinity, or whatever, will say it's the feed, right? It's the pipe, the bandwidth, right? How great is that, right? And then somebody else will say, well, it's the modem, right? Because I'm receiving all that data. So everybody's taking credit for this wonderful picture at the end. And everybody's right. We all have a part to play. And similarly with MDM, what does it take to deliver trusted, reliable data? You know, that the, the trusted, reliable applies equally with data observability as a value proposition as it does with um, uh, master data management, right? Um, and ultimately, one of the recipients is AI and ML, right? So AI and ML and LLMs today need trusted and reliable data. And Manish yeah. Thu, the CEO of, of Relti, has talked about this in the context of AI and ML. Um, so we all have to work together in concert to deliver the data that is trusted and reliable so that AI and ML doesn't turn into Skynet and Terminator and kill us all, right? Uh, but <laughs> it, in essence, that's one way of thinking about it. But the other nature is we can use LLMs, right? and AI and ML to improve data observability, as Reltio has done with the matching. So it's very symbiotic uh, and very circle of life type of thing. Uh, so for a company like Excel Data, and we just uh, acquired a company called Bugle, uh, that's a specialty in uh, nat uh, natural language processing and uh, LLMs, large language models. And what we see there is the ability to use natural language increasingly in the style of ChatGPT to speed up and augment and automate the process for uh, defining rules and defining configurations of things you need to model and understanding patterns so that there is still human in the loop, right? Just like data stewards will never go out of style, right? In mastery yeah. management, but it will speed and automate and more, make more efficient even the data observable as you process itself. Right. So... I've got another great question, and I think you touched upon this briefly, but I love it. To quote uh, Scott Taylor, right, who was on our, our podcast earlier, the data whisperer. I'm sure everybody on this podcast is following him. If you're not, I recommend it. It's hilarious. Can, can I give you a little sort of fun, fun thing? Uh, uh, Scott, uh, um, Ajay Khanna, if you know Ajay, uh, uh, who's the CMO at Mes uh, Mesmo now, uh, who yeah. worked work with me at Raltio. We invited Scott Taylor when he left Dun & Bradstreet uh, four years ago to be um, a guest speaker at Data Driven 19. That was his first independent gig, Data Driven. Wow. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. Wow. That's excellent. Yeah, he's, he's great. We really enjoyed him on the show. Always an interesting person to bring on. But the thing that always comes back to me is how does data observability help with data storytelling? Because I think at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. You know, cost savings, everything. The biggest thing that we get out of yep. um, out of our data is the stories that we can tell. And I think data observability plays a critical piece to that. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think, you know, in the end, um, there's, unless you're telling the story about, hey, you know, you know, once upon a time, there was this small piece of data and, you know, it went to, gra it went to grandma's house and encountered the big bad wolf, which is the... <laughs> you know, the, the blockage or whatever it is, the queue got stuck. Uh, I don't think you mean that kind of data stories, but ultimately the data stories that will get told will be when it's in the consumption form around sort of analytics, right? And dashboards and visualization and even in the LLMs and the ML. So data observability will make those stories accurate, right? And real uh, and timely, 
uh, much in the way master data management also as a supporting piece of technology will will do. Uh, where where the stories get interesting is the made up stories by an LLM, which you can call hallucinations, right? Um, nobody really knows how to stop that just yet. I think everybody believes that it's it's fifty percent the quality of the data has to be good, otherwise it will just parrot back incorrect facts. But it's also training and the, and the models that are that the need to to train the model. But I think the to to bring it back a little bit again to cost, right? Your stories are going to be very expensive to tell uh, if your data is bad because you're going to have to process it more. You're going to have to make adjustments to it, all of which costs a lot of money in horsepower and processing. Uh, so I think the quality of your stories and then whether you can afford to tell the story is the big deal as well. Absolutely. And I think also when you when you think about observability, right? Everybody wants to work in their box. They want to do their job. The data scientist wants to do data scientist work. The data steward wants to do the data steward work. And at the end of the day, all of that work that you've put together to tell this story could be moving in the completely wrong direction mm-hmm. because yeah. nobody is spot checking. Nobody is evaluating. Nobody is looking at that bird's eye view and saying, is this really the right way to do this? Yeah. And to me, just as important as you know, telling the story of how you're generating value is telling the story of how you got to a decision. Yep. And that isn't just about form and function of designing the problem that you're solving for. It mm-hmm. is the mechanics of getting to how you solve that problem. Yes. Right? Yes. If my dad always used to say this too, but like if you've got a speed square and it's not in square, everything is going to be ruined, right? You're not yeah. going to build something straight and square and plumb. The same thing goes for data, right? If you don't have a tool observing how everybody is building, yeah. how do you know what to measure? How do you know if you're even measuring the right thing? Oh, brilliant observation, pun intended, right? I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's just, uh, no, no, it's really, it's really a really important uh, statement. Um, the average shelf life, unfortunately, for, for CDOs is, is about 18 months or less right now. Yeah. Reason being is that they have invested in data governance. You know, GDPR freaked everybody out 10 years ago, so they just went and bought lots of governance, right? Um, the pandemic hit, so all of a sudden, MDM was hot, right? Hotter than it had ever been because everybody needed digital transformation. Um, but ultimately, the, there's always been this sort of, you know, um, assumed value in the purchase of technologies that it, it does contribute to business, right? Even this this notion of better data quality equals better marketing equals better sales equals better revenue. There's really nothing been able to directly correlate the two. I've never seen it. And that's why I'm, I'm at Excel Data, to be honest with you. If you ask me why I joined the company, it's because this thing, data observability, to me, is the biggest thing that's happened to data, uh, Gen AI notwithstanding at the moment, um, that I've ever seen in my career. And I've done everything from databases to applications to master data management to analytics and a little bit of AI along the way. I've done all of it. And this single pane of glass that can tell you what is going on in each of the tools along the journey. And then to have this as a lingua franca or a, a, a common view that everybody, whether you're a data scientist, a CDO, the data engineer, the data steward, 
And when we talk about cost in a little bit, and, and I really want to talk about cost, the FinOps people and the CFO get involved as well. They see the same thing. So this sort of single pane of glass, you could almost call it the 360-degree view of the metadata uh, and the activities of the data. Unlike, you know, NDM that's doing it for customer data and product data, data observability is giving you this 360-degree view of all of the tools and the flows and the data in the pipelines. So, you know, what you're describing is absolutely this opportunity to get everybody speaking the same language. So when something goes wrong, there's not this finger pointing, right? Oh, it was your pipeline that broke. Well, you gave me bad data that gummed up my pipeline. It is just this this huge opportunity. Now, these are still all the technical people, by the way. As you start to expose data observability to the business and the business analysts that want to understand what is the health of my data, now you get this this opportunity to talk business and have the technical people come together. And that's the ultimate dream, right? To have business people and technical people be on the same page. Absolutely. I love it. I don't think you could have told the story any better. I mean, when you have the business people speaking the same language is really when the magic starts to happen, right? Because then bigger decisions get made faster. Yeah. And I think that's that's always exciting. Out of curiosity, and, and it's just because I'm not, a, I don't understand that the piece that you're in uh, or in the market that you're completely in is that when somebody buys your product, do they do do they have to have like an MDM already put in? Do they have to have can they buy it as a separate thing that, you know, like help me understand kind of yeah what that might look like. If you have a database, if you have ETL, if you have data moving between one system and another, if you have applications, then you need data observability. In fact, actually Michael teed me up for this and I forgot to <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to take the, take the bait. Um, a lot of people now are actually using data observability as a precursor to understand the health and the flows and where data is being used as it stands today. Okay. Because that visualization and that understanding actually will dictate what investments I need to make in data catalogs, NDM, data governance, right? They want they want and they want operationalization of data governance, right? Data governance has been, as I mentioned, GDPR freaked everybody out and all of a sudden everybody has data governance. But the question is being asked, how do I get business value out of data governance? Yes, I get it's a defensive play and I've got to do right to be forgotten and I, and I want everybody to be data literate. I think uh, Malcolm Hawker of Prophecy hates that word, data. Uh, I don't know if you've interviewed Malcolm at all, uh, but uh, ex-Gartner analyst, but but he basically says it's we know yeah data data literacy are you talking are you kidding me right you know it's your fault that these people are illiterate number one and number two that's not what you're looking for it's not about literacy <laughs> it's about use of the data right who cares if somebody understands you know what a difference is between you know this data type and that data type it's how it's being used that's critical mm-hmm. but to answer your question Chris. Data observability is more important now than ever if you don't have any of those tools because you get a clean slate. You yeah. get to do an assessment. I don't know how you could survive without it. It's like fundamentally saying, I'm going to build a house, but I'm not going to do any surveying of the foundation. I'm not going to do any research around sort of, you know, how things are being done today and, you know, so forth. You need this to make the best decisions and it's going to save you money. Again, it's going to save you money. Because you won't over-index on governance. You won't over-index on MDO because you'll do what's needed 
for 80% of, of the revenue that drives your business. One of the things that you mentioned, and thank you for that, uh, Ramon. So one of the things that you mentioned was you, you talked a lot about uh, bad data, um, data quality, and those kinds of things. And you know, how, do you, how does uh, Excel data identify and mitigate those risks associated with the bad data? So there's multiple things that can happen, but the, the mechanics of it is, right, you have a set of rules. The rules that get defined at various uh, points in the data pipeline or endpoints dictate what you, the level of checks that you, validity checks that you want to go yes. through. Have, having profiled the data, you create these rules and then you define policies, policies that will act upon uh, situations where you find uh, um, a data that's either inconsistent or doesn't meet your business requirements and so forth. Then at that point of entry, you get to make decisions about what you want to do. Do you want to quarantine that data? Do you want to make some order remediation correction by calling a, a, a tool that can fix that data as an example? Do you want a, somebody's pager to go off because this is really bad news, right? Something's coming in that's that's really not good and if this is a trend, something really bad is broken sort of um, upstream. So you can make those decisions and you can have essentially all of those, in quotes, uh, uh, monitoring touch points throughout your enterprise so that you kind of just, I mean, think of it as just being able to see and be alerted to, if you ch so choose, to everything that is going wrong or not going wrong. And then the idea eventually with AMML is that you get to a point of self-remediation, right? Where you can auto-correct. The best possible thing eventually with data observability is that you never hear from it. You install it and it just takes care of everything and you wouldn't even know it was there. That's the ultimate goal. But until such time as AI becomes trustworthy enough to auto-remediate, the best, best thing that you can do is to be aware of it before it uh, bad things happen downstream. How long, out of curiosity, how long does it take to implement a tool like that? So you can get started tomorrow by essentially choosing, uh, the best way to do this is to start with a business use case, right? Just like MDM, yeah. you, you don't want to boil the ocean, right? And just say, I'm going to MDM everything. I'm going to do product, I'm going to customer, I'm going to supplier, et cetera, supplier and everything, right? Usually what happens is the marketing has a problem, Right. <laughs> We're actually seeing a lot of CDP issues, right? Customer data platform uh, uh, in the marketing department. Yeah. Um, you know, banks want to be more personal in terms of you know engagement with the customers, and they stop sending me five credit cards at the same one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and in some cases, you know, because they have CDP, they don't need MDM, right? Because MDM is a little bit more heavyweight and, yeah. and boiling the ocean. If you only have a marketing use case. Plus, you know, if the CMOs bought a CDP, then all they want is the reliable data feeds uh, that get in and the pipelines to, to service those functions. So in that particular case, it, it's it's not hard at all, right? It's going to take, you know, a week maybe to kind of get all the okay. things installed. It's, it's really not that difficult. Now, on some of the projects that we have and because of our enterprise scale, yeah, you know, it could take a little longer. And the reason why is that people are observing huge amounts of infrastructure yeah. and they're looking at, you know, deploying this to really revolutionize and re-architect uh, and modernize their entire framework. Those things, types of things will stay longer, but even then you can have small wins along the way that yeah. show value. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Is, is uh, time to value a huge concern to you? Yeah. So you you sell it, and then you want people to get value as soon as possible, obviously. Yeah. So so if I were to say to you, I were to say to you, there's a running faucet in your house, but you have no idea where it is. And when I got a story. Because, yeah, there you go. And if you check, if you check your water bill every month, it's going up by a hundred dollars, right? You'd freak out, right? You'd be like, "Oh my god, where the heck is this thing?" You know, I'm gonna rip this house off limb to limb, you know, and pull the walls out and to find this thing. But that's exactly what's happening today in every single enterprise uh, data pipeline and data supply chain, right? People are using Snowflake incorrectly. They have run long-running queries. They've got 20 users running in the same query within the, next, the same hour, right? And it's just causing issues. They, they, they've got Databricks instances that they're not shutting down. Instacart's S1 said that they now spend $50 million a year on Snowflake. $50 million a year. Wow. Of which we estimate, given our data observability capabilities, we could take out 20 to 30% of that spend just by observing it within the first week and seeing where the inefficiencies are and then just either educating users to not behave in that manner while they're using the product or reducing the uh, uh, predefined capacity, take some extra large data warehouses, downsize them to small because there's only one person using it. All of these things that you can't see, that running faucet is everywhere, right? Yeah. So what I'll just say to you is... Forget about time to value. Think of this yeah. as like your 401k. If you yeah. put data observability in now, you're not getting the compounding effect of the money that you're saving to put towards other initiatives. It's money out the door, revenue leakage, whatever you want to call it, right? This is an insane thing. And that's why I talked about FinOps and the CFO, because the CFO is pounding the table right now saying, where can we save? Why do we have to use this tool? Why do you have to use that tool? They're not asking they, everybody has signed off on Snowflake and Databricks. They're, they're stuck. Those things yeah. have, have to be there. They're extremely valuable. We're partners with them. But do you really have to use that much more to get the same outcome? You don't know until you have data observability. Ramon, that, that was awesome. Like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear because, yeah. you know, that, that really puts it, uh, uh, to my understanding anyways, and I think our listeners would, will really appreciate that. Mike, do you have something? No, I was saying the same thing. I mean, these these types of examples that put things into context are what take a complicated kind of right now buzzwordy term and make more sense of it for yeah. most people right now. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I keep coming back to is every CDO, right? Like yeah. 10 years, like two years. Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. coming into these companies that could be 20, 50 years old <laughs> yeah. with no idea what's going on. And yeah. what is the first thing that they should be doing is... How do we get eyes on where we're spending money? What's happening? How does the ecosystem work? And observability is one way that you can definitely expedite that process. Yeah, for sure. I, I, th I think, you know, my, my mantra is I, I want to be the CDO's BFF, right? Yeah. Because, you know, they, they have to know that when they have data observability and Excel data, they're going to be able to prove that what they're doing is moving the needle in the business. In the Paul Pandari, who's the former chief data officer, he just left IBM, right? He's a friend of ours. Uh, me and Manisha's uh, have a story about how we met uh, pre, uh, pre me joining Relatio uh, for another time. But um, in the in the Paul Pandari, uh, did a fireside chat with Manish at the uh, Data Driven, 
And he said, my tenure as the CDO was very much dependent on speaking the business language of the other C-suite leaders. Uh, you really have to do that. And the failing for most CDOs is not that they weren't technical enough. It's not that they, they didn't work hard enough. Uh, they just didn't equate the technology that they were investing in, like governance tools or anything else, to business value and what really were the main metrics that the company operated on. And as such, you know, when the CEO says, you know, how, how much did this cost and what what is it doing for me from a, either a cost savings perspective or a um, uh, improving the top line, there's no answer, right? Yep. So I go back to my original premise, which is if we can give first the health and the reliability of data uh, and make that visible, you can improve so many things. Uh, you know, it's like finding money under your couch cushion, right? It's just there, you know, just, 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 you've looked it up, right? And probably a lot more than that. Yeah, it's probably a lot more than that, right? But, <laughs> but, but ultimately, if that's the case, then the next phase of that is now I know if I could somehow juxtapose the business value with the, 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 the technical metrics and, you know, rate of change and mean time to resolution, all of this stuff. Now, then you have something. Then, then every the big kumbaya happens. The CDO, I think, data observability will do for the CDO if they pick the right data observability platform, cough, cough, Excel data. Uh, you know, it will turn them into superstars the way CIOs were turned into superstars. Right? The CIO used to be in the doghouse. The CIO used to be yep. the the guy who supplied or gal who supplied the laptops. Right. Yep. And, and, and and replaced your PC and told you, you know, your network uh, uh, equipment was such and such. But now they're in data, they're digitally transforming. Right. They're yep. they're really got a seat at the table. I think the CDO has gone through this evolution. You know, GDPR, you're playing defense. Oh, well, you know, you've got to do a little bit of offense. Oh, you've got to fix my data so that my analytics are better. Now it's AI MLL. You know, who is the CDAIO, right? <laughs> or EIEIO. I mean, these people, I mean, uh, are under under attack. And I think that this is the time, this is the place we want to make CDOs superstars. And I have one more question to kind of close this out. That was a great answer. So thank you. So when you look towards the future, since uh, uh, it's only four or five years old, you know, yeah. what do you kind of see the future? As? What does that look like three to five years out? Well, I will be retired, hopefully, touch wood. <laughs> but, yeah, but, aside. Yeah, but, but, uh, but, but you know, if we, if we were to have this conversation three to five years from now, I, I really believe in data observability as, you know, at least in my data management sort of uh, career, the singular most impactful uh, piece of technology, which will continue to expand the box in terms of, of uh, what it touches, what it does, because because now you're talking about also observing model drift, LLM model drift, right? All of a sudden, uh, I don't know whether you saw the, uh, uh, the 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 Berkeley white paper, which has been somewhat refuted about hey, you know, uh, open uh, open AI's ChatGPT seems to be responding less well as the previous version. I did so. Did 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 they did something change? Did they start running it on smaller models? Right. So model drift is a thing now already, right? And we're just getting started, right? You know how how do you 
how do you keep these foundation data models from skewing, right? Is the expected behavior, can you catch hallucinations before they occur and get really super serious and then impact your bottom line? So the, the edges of data observability will continue to spider out. There's kind of no limit to what can be observed and how to apply it. So I think in three to five years, uh, there'll be a magic quadrant probably in three to five years because Gartner uh, is a little slow, generally speaking, right, about these things. I think Forrester will, will, will create a wave well before that as, uh, because they're just a little bit quicker off the mark relative to how they think about things. Uh, but but it's going to be a thing. <laughs> and I predict, you know, companies like Informatica and, and others uh, and even the observability vendors will start to try to you know, confuse the market. They already are a little bit, right? By saying, hey, it's the same thing, you know, observability on system logs and, you know, observability in data observability is the same thing. It's not, right? It's like saying CRM versus MDM, quite frankly. Yeah. Right. It's not the same thing. Well, it's been fantastic, Ramon. So certainly appreciate you uh, coming today. Um, anything else, Mike? No, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. I love all of the explanation. I think that when I first heard the term data observability, it was completely confusing and it took a while, (laughs) partly because of all this ambiguity in the market right now. So really appreciate you coming on the show. I hope our users get a lot out of this and thank you again. No, thank you very much. Yeah. Pleasure guys. You you really uh, have a great, great show going. I'm big fans, you know, of what you guys do and, uh, listen uh, and yeah but you know we need to do a double episode now that you missed a week so there we go yeah (laughs) we we probably will so thank you everyone for tuning in to another data hurdles don't forget to rate and review us my name is chris detzel and i'm michael burke thanks for tuning in thanks everyone 